0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode number 16 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. Uh, before we get started with uh, the interview with David Walder from the Newcastle Falcons, uh, I just wanted to uh, say a, a, a big thank you uh, to everyone who's who's tuned in so far. It's It's been pretty awesome, uh, the feedback that I've gotten so far, both from uh, friends in the rugby community here in North America, but also from complete strangers who have just uh, emailed me uh, through the website or, or got in contact with me through Twitter or something like that. It's, it's been really uh, really nice, really humbling. And I'd just like to thank, thank everyone uh, who, who's been listening in and uh, I ho- hope you're enjoying the show because I'm really enjoying doing it. Yeah, and if you if you do have any kind of feedback of any kind, it'd be great to hear from you. Uh, any feedback is, is useful for the show. Uh, if it's going to make the experience better for, for listeners out there, I'm really keen to hear about it. And the, the best way to do that is to go through the website. Um, the website is www.therugbycoachescorner.com. Uh, coaches is spelled C-O-A-C-H-S. There's no apostrophe. Uh, in that website, we've got a contact tab. Uh, you can type in your details and then send me a quick message. Um, and also while you're there, you can also look at uh, the website in general. It's got on the homepage, it's got all our episodes there. Uh, but there's also a couple of tabs that may interest uh, listeners. Uh, one's for recommended resources. So in there, we've got all the books and links to websites and things like that that guests will mention in the show. Uh, there's also a videos tab there as well for any, any kind of stuff that I dig up on YouTube that, that's relevant to some of the episodes. And then there's also another tab called Other Podcasts. And there's some great podcasts out there that are, that are you know, most of them aren't rugby related, but they're definitely applicable so uh, have a look at that and check it out um, and then lastly I'd uh, if you if you if you're able to and if you're keen um, any any reviews that we get that the show gets on iTunes is extremely helpful because it uh, promotes the program when people search for, for different podcasts the more reviews you get the better better you come up in searches so we're definitely keen to uh, spread the message far and wide about the coaches corner and um, yeah so if you if you have the time if you could jump jump on iTunes and do a uh, an honest rating of the show and again that feedback's really helpful. So yeah, thanks very much again for everyone for listening and for, for tuning in and I uh, hope you enjoy episode number 16. All right, cheers. bye for now.
1: Dear Brian McLean Corner You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host Andy Plymar. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing your ideas to make the game better.
0: Alright, thanks for joining us for episode number 16 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. Joining me today is David Walder. Uh, he's the current attack coach for the Newcastle Falcons in the Aviva Premiership. Uh, David played 15 years professionally in England and Japan with uh, clubs such as the Newcastle Falcons, London Wasps and the Mitsubishi Dynabors, including four full caps for England. He scored over a thousand points in the English Premiership and is a Heineken Cup, Guinness Premiership, Power Gen Cup, and Tetley Bitter Cup winner. Uh, After retiring in February 2013 due to a knee injury, uh, he coached kicking at the Newcastle Falcons, as well as roles with Percy Park RSC, Durham University, and RGS, before being offered the team attack and backs coaching role at the Newcastle Falcons in 2014. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show, David. So welcome.
1: Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Yeah.
0: So, um, pretty uh, pretty long and distinguished uh, playing career. Um, what what are your main highlights in that in that 15 years of playing professionally?
1: Uh-huh. I, I think the first thing was just to be able to get through fifteen years of it. I think there were ups <laughs> and downs, and I think the way the modern game is going. You know, I think when I when I started out, it was um, I was lucky enough in two thousand and one to actually play against Jonah Lomu, oh, uh, at, at Twickenham, and, um, and I remember thinking at the time, you know, we were told. You, Gang up on him, jump all over him, and, and just really <laughs> target him because he was the only big bloke in the opposition in inverted commas. And I think by the time I retired, I think I was the only little bloke in the team. I think yeah. the, the games moved on, and you know, said so to get a few fifteen years of it, I spent most of my time running away from the big people. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I You know, I, that that was that was in itself, I think, was a bit of an achievement. But obviously, the things that stand out with it when he playing for England and the chance to represent my country, and um, and then the trophies that you win are just sort of a nice little byproduct. Products along the way, um, so no, I really really enjoyed myself.
0: Yeah, that's great. So now now you're you're, you're fully into the, the coaching uh, role. Um, who who were some of the, the the coaches in your playing and coaching history that have uh, that have influenced you the most?
1: Um, I think the, the first guys that I really uh, were, were in touch with this a guy called Terry Cobner. When I was at school, he was a, a Welsh flanker in the nineteen seventies, and he okay. was my tutor t- at school, and he. Um, he was sort of he was my rugby coach from my my senior school and, and that was probably the first time that you had I can, I can remember having active coaching you know before that it was all about having fun and, and which it still which it still should be and still is a lot of the time but he was the first guy I, I sort of I can remember um, as a, as a proper a guy I started to learn off I went to university with a guy called there was a guy coach called a guy called Ted Wood. Um, who's a legend of Durham University? He's been there for years. He's uh, he's still around now. He's a fantastic man. We call him quite often, and he he got me through my university. I think he did half of my um, half of my dissertation <laughs> for me, to be honest. But uh, that's probably why I think a bit favourably of him. Yeah, but there's sure. probably the two the two leading up to the professional world, and then in the professional world. the sort of. I think I've probably learned a bit of everyone I've been coached off for various, some good, some bad, some out there ideas. And I think it's really important to be open minded. And I've come across some really uh, interesting characters and some really uh, interesting coaches. And, um, you know, I, the guys like Steve Bates, who I think at Newcastle when I was one of my first coaches there was possibly uh, a little bit ahead of his time in his ideas and forward thinking and possibly yep. uh, people um struggled to cope with with the way he came in it but actually a lot of things that were then or since he finished uh, in the professional world are being taken on as the norm now um so he was probably the one guy that sticks out me for me really forward thinking to then guys like at wasp sean edwards who is probably the most in inverted commas famous coach that i've been coached with yeah uh, I, I had a great relationship with sean he was uh a very extreme coach you know very uh thought about the game a lot spoke pretty harshly at times to you but you always knew where you stood with him and uh i, I had a good working relationship with him but i think across the board everybody that i've had contact with as a player who coached me i think uh, i've always been able to take something good or bad from from the way they've treated me or their drills or the way they approach things
0: okay yeah great and what and what about now where do you where do you go to for your like to for your current professional development to keep keep fresh and get new ideas and, and those kind of things?
1: Yeah, I think um, my, my take on it was uh, I've got a good director of rugby, Dean Richards, and, and I sat down with Dean a few uh, months ago and he said well, what about continued professional development and uh, I said rather than go on courses, I think watching people in action across a spectrum of sports is what's important, yeah. um, at both at elite level and amateur level. Um, so um, last summer, I spent uh, a week with the Chicago Bears and the NFL looking at how they do stuff. Uh, right. So with Northwestern University, they were very, very welcoming to us. So uh, spent sort of two or three days with them, just seeing their systems and how how players are spoken to and, and how management managers work and the allocation of time and, and the intensity of different days of training and things. Through to try and spend time looking at football clubs and you know and how, and how they work and, and obviously footballers in the UK, you're soccer players, you probably know them. with yeah. a quite high profile. How you deal with egos and things. And then there's there's, there's other guys who who I've come. Across, you know, Richard Cheaton, who I know you've spoken to, and done a brilliant yeah. podcast on creativity and coaching. You know, I try and speak to people like that and, and get their their sort of perspective on things, and just try and be open minded to things, and yeah. getting uh, getting as much input from as many different angles as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. The Chicago trip would have been would have been awesome. I was there for the Australia US game before the World Cup, and uh, it's a pretty awesome city. And to go there for some PD work would have been would have been pretty special. Oh.
1: No, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Again, you know, big thank you to coach John Fox and, and his team. They were really welcoming to us. And, uh, you know, they made us they, – they sort of, we had access to all areas, which was great, you know, st- sitting pitch side, talking to the coaches about what they're trying to get out of certain things. And it was it was eye-opening because, on the one hand, we see a lot of uh, NFL on television and, yeah. and there's a lot of money in the game. And you assume that – because there's money, they're going to be at a certain level. But then, when I actually scratched beneath it, and we spoke to the nutritionist and stuff, she was saying that she's still struggling to persuade guys that eating pizza three times a day isn't good for their body. <laughs> you know, and you think, well, actually, all the money and all that, but actually, it's about educating players, and, yeah. and that was their biggest thing. It
0: doesn't stop, eh? No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. All right. So, if if someone was to come and watch a session coached by you, what what's some of the things they're going to see and hear?
1: Um, I like to think I'm a fairly positive, coach. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm constantly rewarding things for good things that people do. Uh, fully aware that uh, when I was a player, that the lift you got in training when someone just even says "well done, Dave." Mm. Uh, when I was doing things, and mm. so I'm constantly trying to trying to improve players through that. Um, I stop things quite a lot, possibly too much, um, to get feedback from the players. Yeah. Um, I, I like to get their input on what they're seeing and what they're hearing and what they're feeling, and, and how I can tweak things within the drill to make things better, or within the game to change a rule to get more out of it. Yeah. Um, I'd say fairly, fairly upbeat. Uh, I do probably, as I say, probably talk a little bit too much, and, and uh, I think that's probably just because I, I love what I do and I'm very enthusiastic about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. And so if it would do. They... Would you have a a bunch of cones laid out or would it be like hit shields or no hit shields or it depends on the session, obviously, but... uh.
1: Yeah, I'm fairly uh, fairly loose with my my, my gear. You know, I sort of, um, as you say, it depends on the session, but I'd say I'm quite relaxed about about what I'm trying to get out of things. The the, the way the game is is at the moment, it's about trying to upskill people across all areas. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky that I work in a world where I've got a specified area to focus on and that being attack. So Mm. I don't have to worry about the contact side of it because we've got a guy that coaches the breakdown. I don't have to worry about the defensive side of it. Everything's intertwined and it's important that you Mm. do cross everything uh, across all areas. But I'm lucky that I can just look at the attack side of things. So I wouldn't say... uh, I'm not a massive believer in having a lot of cones. You know, If you come to watch us, for example, on game day, our warm-up, I'd say where we... Uh, driven driven by a couple of the coaches feel that warm-ups are a very, very individual thing prior to a game. Yeah. So, they, so players need as much time as they can uh, to do whatever they need to do to get themselves ready. There yeah. has to be a team element but I think we, we as a club have a fairly short team element where um, the, the guys will um, do a little bit of handling and decision-making to, to get them going for a couple of minutes. They'll then go into a little bit of contact work which one of the other coaches run. From that, we'll split the forwards to go and do their line outs and get their bits and pieces. As backs, we'll just try to work a bit more on the decision-making side of it and the handling side of it, getting the ball through your hands. And then we come together, we do two minutes of team attack shape and two minutes of team defense, and then we're into the game. So it's it's you know, I guess that's fairly representative of, of my thoughts on it that. You know, you can have a million and one cones, but you don't actually need them. You know, yeah. the game's more about just having a feel for things and and uh, players taking ownership of what they're what they need to get themselves ready for or what they're trying to work on.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a trend that we're starting to see more of in in rugby for sure. Um, yeah. As as the attack coach, um, are you, are you also the backs coach?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I look off the backs as well. Yeah. So. so
0: so how do you like when we when we're talking about just the backs only? How do you how do you split up the time made available to you from the head coach? Uh, yes, to, to account for all things that that they need to be proficient at. Yes,
1: yeah, so we normally my, my view is that most of the set piece stuff relies on what the forwards do. Mm-hmm. So I try and cover all of my set piece work with with the team or certainly with the back row. Yeah. Uh, from from a scrum point of view, we try and play with a seven and an eight, so we launch off that. With the, with the line-out stuff, I think it's all, all of our line-out stuff is done uh, off off a, off a line-out. Um, so therefore, the, which allows me, we normally have uh, at least one, but normally two unit sessions of the week. The first one is normally roughly half an hour, 40 minutes, okay. of which, um, as, as speaking to the defence coach, try and cover off things so we don't double up so we won't do necessarily attack and defense but yeah. if, if we can get away with it but at the same time if i want to prep our guys for playing against a certain defensive system we have to ask the defense to behave like that team rather mm-hmm. than on our defense so we try and we try and split it so that there will be a time when it is just our attack against our defense so we're not doubling up on things but there'll also be a time where we working on certain things which are looking at attacking a particular type of defense uh, in that my first of the, of the half an hour that I have at the start of the week, I guess I'd probably have uh, 20 minutes will be on, on handling just just whether it be running straight, whether we work on our depth, whether we work on angle changes, whether we work on our timing, you know, with just just almost a generic part of it. And then the 10 minutes will focus on putting that into practice against the type of defence you're going to face, uh, whether you need to be deeper, flatter, uh, tighter, whatever that will be. Yeah. Uh, well, then the second unit session would normally tie in with the team session, and that will be more set-piece based. To be honest, the way the set-piece is at the moment, a lot of teams... Um, just try and scrum for penalties and it's pretty dull. Mm. We 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 as a team, or well, my philosophy is, let's try and attack. You've got eight people, you know where eight people are going to be and that the forwards are tied in. So you've got a, a good opportunity from looking at video of seeing how teams defend it. It's a really good chance to have a go at defence. So my 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 attitude is, let's get the ball in and out and play and we, and we try and attack like that from scrums. Um, but that's as I said, that second, second unit session is normally about 15 minutes and that'll be... We'll jog through our starter plays while the forwards are getting through the lineups. Then we'll come together and run them, run yeah. them full speed, uh, seven on seven uh, okay. or, or fifteen on 15, fifteen sort of thing.
0: Okay, and what, what about things like, um, like the specialist stuff, like kicking? Uh, are they expected to be doing that outside of regular training hours yeah, with your uh, supervision or with the key yeah, coach we, supervision? We,
1: no we, we've got a, we've got a skills two skills coaches in place all the players have their own skills programs mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky to work at the at the end of it where we've got players have the time and we've got the, the coaches to to be able to say to players um, for example, the nines this morning they met at nine o'clock and they have twenty minutes of passing and kicking, which yeah. is specific to nines uh, the tens after the session I kicked balls back for forty minutes for our three tens who are kicking at goal kicking out of hand and kicking restarts yeah. Um, I guess that's expected to be done in their own time. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, we'll throw in a unit session where we'll look at a bit of kicking just to try and change it up. But our, our, as a general, uh, our strategy, the way we play, we generally don't kick off our, lock, a lot off our centres. So again, the work that they're expected to do would be in their own time and, yeah. and down with the skills coach and either find a specific time to do it or sort of maybe review it every month and find out whether they're doing enough of it and they're progressing as we, as we want them to. Yeah.
0: Okay, so on to your role as an attack coach. Off-air, we were talking a lot about you really enjoy the process of breaking down a team's defence. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think because of the position I played, I played fly-half for 15 years. I played a little bit of fullback, but the majority of my career was at fly-half. Yeah. I used to love trying to pick defences apart and find weaknesses in it, and I saw it as a challenge every week for me to either find the plan myself or sit down with the coach and look at certain things and – and, and um and try and work out to unpick defenses defenses nowadays are so well organized and well practiced but you can't cover everywhere on the pitch and i think uh, a bit of a philosophy i think pat lamb the coach at Connacht, i was speaking to him at the start of the season and i really like what he said about his philosophy being whether you go uh, over you have to have the ability to go over round or through every defense and i, and I like i like that sort of side of it the way to come at it and um you know for me defense is a bit boring because it's all about process you you get you either most teams either go up and out or up and in and that and that's pretty much it whereas attack you 've got so many variations whether you play off nine you play off ten, you play off the centers you play with one runner, you play with two runners, you go same way, you zigzag and, and i i love I love all the different variations and I see it as a real challenge to me to be able to give us the structure to be able to play whichever style and whichever way we want in order to break a defense down and score tries. And um, and that's what I love about it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I read an article just the other day um, where an interview with Mick Byrne, the skills coach for or the former skills coach yeah. for the All Blacks, and he was saying yeah. um, that that attack now is just so undercoached that you look at international games and people are still running across field and still you know, not being direct enough. And,
1: and... Oh, I, I, you know, I, I've I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I've never been in that elite world, the top elite of international rugby. Hopefully, one day I'll get the opportunity to go there. But I, I get frustrated when you see where all the space is uh, and, and the it's so attritional. I and mean, I don't think there's any secret that the best sides of the world probably play the, the most rugby. Um, you know, I know there's the stat out there that New Zealand kicked the ball more than anyone, but mm. when they choose to attack, they're so comfortable at moving the ball to the space wherever that is, whether it's a kick, whether that's a pass, whether that's someone using their footwork. You know that that's that's it's great to watch, and I think um, you know I'm pretty pretty loose in my you know I like structure. Northern Hemisphere people like structure, but yeah. the aim of having a structure in place is to give anybody the ability if they see a mismatch in front of them, whether that's a forward on a back or a back on a forward or somewhat fast guy and a slow guy. To be able to go and take that person on and showcase what they've got, and I think that's got to be at the at the heart of everything you do is giving guys the confidence and the license, for want of a better word, or the ability to actually recognise that mismatch and then also the confidence to go and take it on.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that that concept of space <laughs> is is really important too. Um, the the French. Uh, not now because they're a bit more bash and crash now but a, a decade ago the french were amazing at that just creating that space and then putting the player through there
1: so natural and it's the same that it's almost probably been coached out of it and mm. out, out of them and i think um when they're at the best they're playing instinctive rugby right?
0: yeah.
1: and I think that's something that for, for, for them they need to fix fairly quickly
0: yeah yeah i agree um yeah they have They've they've gone to that trend of bigger is better. He tried to yeah. Yeah. yeah, and okay. Well, what what about the the glorious climate you have in England? Um, <laughs> <laughs> how the, how does that influence your coaching decisions and your session design and those kind of uh, ideas?
1: Oh, I, again, from from my playing days, I was very aware that you turn up at a ground and there'd be a howling gale and it'd be pouring with rain, and and the only difference would be the coach would turn around and say right, Dave's going to kick it more this week. And you sort of sat there and thought, it needs to be a little bit more than that because I think it's a bit unfair. And then, you know, if you've got an experienced fly half who's comfortable playing in all weather, you can just say that. But if you've got various levels of fly halves and various levels of kicking ability, you need to be a bit more uh, descriptive to them or, or help it and um, help those guys with a bit more of a game plan. So you, you, you plan for the best, and, and but you're also prepared for the worst. And I think, um, you know, last year... We we got away with it. I think we probably had one or two out of our thirty odd games that where the, where the weather was absolutely brutal. This year it seems to be we've had one or two games where the weather hasn't been brutal. Um, and and the wet I don't think should phase teams. It's more the wind. I yeah. think if uh, if you can play in the wet, you've got to practice. You can practice with wet balls and you can challenge yourself. And and I think you can still have that ambition to play. I just think that the wind is what really kills it. Kills a team. And because um, I think people do get sucked into if you've got the win just kick it and if you're into it, just keep it and I think you need a little bit more uh to it than that
0: yeah yeah uh, that's that's interesting okay so looking looking at team attack then um how, how do you design the attacking style that you want your <laughs> team to play like uh, yeah no doubt you profile your team first and then go off that but there's got to be some changes week in week out depending on opposition
1: yeah, I think sort of um, uh, we're 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 set up the way we're if you if you watch us to in theory, in, th- or sorry, in theory we're set up to be able to attack off nine or off ten or off twelve off most phases. Um, the reality is you haven't always got those people in the right places. But I think we we tend to. We spend a lot of time on our shape in the pre-season getting us to a point not looking at a defence but just falling into shape. so people aren't working too hard there's a there's a classic tendency in English rugby to over chase and you'll end up with five people at a breakdown when in effect mm-hmm. two would do most defences now operate with a tackler plus one defend mm-hmm. defender uh, occasionally a team will throw a, throw an extra defender in and ironically at international level they'll normally throw two two extra defenders in so there should in theory be more space to attack yeah. but that's, that's different so um, so we, we we spend a lot of time getting our shape right and then each week we'll go into the game looking at a particular area of our shape that we think will be uh, which will give us the most rewards in terms of creating the most mismatches and so that might be those guys running off the nine being used, the guys running off the nine being a decoy and then playing with the runners off the ten. It might be going out the back of both sets of runners or across the front of both, trying to get the ball out of the width. So my job is to make sure that we've got the ability to go wherever we want and then, and then actually just pick the right decision within that. And then in terms of looking at specific defenses each week, I'll watch sort of I'll watch a couple of probably the last five games of an opposition. I'll yeah. skip through and try and look for specific weaknesses off set piece or off counter-attack, or off turnover attack, or off scrum attack, and try and look at certain things that we've got in our playbook to uh, to exploit those weaknesses and either get you in behind the defence or give you the momentum to to bend or eventually break the defence. And um, So I think my, my previews will generally be set up with looking at a couple of specific areas to attack and how we're going to attack those off the set piece with pictures of how a team will defend in phase play and therefore how we're going to then attack them to try to break them down. Uh, And then the aim of training, You see, I I think it's pretty simple. The difference between club, premiership and international rugby is is decision-making. So I'd say decision-making at international level, you'd expect your international fly half to make the right decision 18 times out of 20. Premiership level, probably 15 times out of 20 and club level, probably 10 times out of 20. The, the, The major difference being the number of options you've got to choose from and the speed at which you've got to make your decision. So, again, club level, you've probably got two options, premiership level, three options, and international, four options, and you've got to pick that option in a split second quicker at each level you go up. Yeah. Therefore, in training, my job is to try to put those guys in those situations where they're facing the pictures they're going to face at the weekend, so that they've seen the picture on a Saturday or Sunday whenever we're playing. They've seen it. They're not phased by it, and they know what cues they're looking for. A defender stepping in, hips turned in, somebody flying out the line. the the scrum half joining the front line, leaving the space in behind. And my job is to try to show the pictures on a Monday or a Tuesday of what is likely to happen and then go and train it during the weeks to come Friday. We're all comfortable that we all know what we're looking for. So when it does happen, hopefully we can pick it off. Yeah. The caveat to that being the defences know because they watch the same pictures of their own defence. So they'll see their same weaknesses. So they'll work on plugging those weaknesses because they know that as an attack, you're trying to exploit them. And that's why I love the game of, of almost double bluffing and bluffing and going through things like that.
0: Yeah, it's got a chess-like feel to it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think that bit on pitches is really... Really interesting. I think most of most of the science you read about uh, how how athletes learn and and get better in motor skills and things like that it's it's not instructional. It's it's pretty experiential and yeah. and and they talk a lot about that in the literature about showing them pictures that their yeah. brain can recall on under yeah. pressure and go yes I've seen this before.
1: Yeah, I've never done it, but a guy uh, I can't remember what it was was saying a good idea to try to help people as uh, you decision makers as you get higher up is to actually. Show them footage, but show them at double speed.
0: Okay, great.
1: And then show them at normal speed, and then show them at half speed. And apparently, again, I haven't seen literature. I can't, the person who told me might well have seen literature. It was saying, hopefully, that when they see that picture on game day, they've seen it in their mind in slow motion, so they've got more time to pick it off. I've never tried it, but I like the thought of it. Yeah,
0: that's something. Um, yeah, it'd be good to play around with that for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, what what about Northern Hemisphere rugby in general? You know, we're just coming off a, a pretty awesome Rugby World Cup for the for the Southern Hemisphere fans. Yeah. Um, what what do you feel needs to change or needs to develop or happen at, at a club level in, in in your part of the world?
1: Yeah, I, I think it goes a little bit in circles or cycles. So yeah. I think you know, the, North, the Northern Hemisphere possibly have, have missed a couple of cycles. But I think um, at international level, I think you're successful by sticking true to what your your, your roots are. So for New Zealand, to be playing a game that's rely, relying on a natural ability because they're brought up on rugby from age four or five. You know Australia, similarly, South Africa, they're brought up and playing a very, very physical game. England are brought up on a set piece just the way the game has been for the last 30 years. And I think you need to not go away from that because that's what your DNA is and that's what you will always come back to. But you do definitely need to add to it and try and counter and develop your game in other areas so that you don't get left behind and focused. That if one area does get shut down completely, you haven't got another area to go to. And I think if you worry too much about being someone else, you lose sight of what you are. And I think that's sort of... That's something. So, you know, traditionally up here, Northern Hemisphere rugby is all about the set piece. Yeah. And I think at the moment, it's gone too far about the set piece. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's all the talk at the scrums very pertinent to England playing Wales tomorrow with all coaches out in the press, so both sides are cheating. In all honesty, <laughs> yeah. referees haven't got a clue. Yeah. And they're guessing. <laughs> and, and and the game is uh, is diet as a result at times mm. but the flip of that is I personally wouldn't want to see a game which is where the scrum lasts for a second, it's in and out and you're off you go and that's it because I, if you do that you, you sort of take away from the the beauty about rugby in my eyes is when, you, when you're a youngster choosing to play the game there's a position for everybody, if you're tall you're short, you're fat, you're skinny you're quick and the, the good thing about it is everybody is as important to everybody else it's the ultimate team game so without yeah. good props, you haven't got a good scrum, you yeah. can't get the ball. Without a good, you know, without a second there's, there's so many things you can say, and everyone's so important to each other. And I think if you took the set piece away and devalued the set piece, because it's hard to referee at the moment, I think you lose a big, big angle. Something needs to be sorted out, because watching a game where 10 minutes of footage is taken up by a scrum isn't entertaining, and yeah. I completely see that. But as I say, I think you just need to be careful about which way they go with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think you, from the other end too, you want to be careful of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because we've all seen teams uh, when their scrum is not very strong. Like the wobbies yeah. have had their times with that, with the dark old days. And yeah, yeah, you just they might have the best outside backs or the best backline in general, but they're 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 not getting the ball they need to to perform
1: exactly. Exactly, yeah. and I think I think you've got to get a balance. I think there will be a balance. I think you know, as it's, 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 there's a natural evolution of it and everyone tries to aspire to be New Zealand and that's great. But then you can take your eye off. What about Australia? I mean, no one saw them coming in the last World Cup and some of the stuff they played was brilliant. Yeah. They sort of scrum out and were absolutely brilliant to watch. So I think you've got to try and get the best of everyone, but uh, but ultimately also be really excel in what you're good at.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, no I, I agree. And I, 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 England needs to have that attacking option. And I think they'll have it for sure with Eddie Jones, but it's not going to be, they're not going to be that. All they're going to do, they're going to rely on what, their bread and butter as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's a really interesting point appointment for them. I think he'll mm-hmm. bring that Australian element of flair, the guys he's worked with, your Stephen Larkham's going back, your George Greegans and things yeah, like that. I mean, you know, he'll tie that in at the same time. I think he's been quite clever that he's kept the core of of, of guys who've been around and experienced and have, have no, know what it's about. And I, I think, yeah, I think you'll, in a couple of years' time, I think you'll see a very, very good England team playing yeah. a, 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 an American tournament all-court game.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be really interesting. I just love the World Cup, and but then the 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 wash up afterwards and the four years leading to the next one I also love that too just seeing yeah. how teams evolve and, and learn the lessons or don't learn the lessons
1: yeah deep, completely you know. I mean I think Japan are the case in point in front oh, of, fantastic, of obviously yeah. they stuck to what they were good at they mm. kept hold of the ball they stayed away from set piece and they played at a million miles an hour mm. and teams couldn't live with them they had yeah. success in South Africa yeah. you know I think that, that was the classic case of sticking and being very very good at what you're what you've been brought up doing
0: yeah uh, I agree you know, yeah,
1: it was brilliant to watch.
0: All right. Um, final question then. What do, in your coaching journey so far, what are, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in, in your time coaching uh, in um, your various roles?
1: Um, what have I learned? I've learned to let people answer the question, don't be afraid of silence. Yeah. Um, I think quite often because I'm quite an analytical person and, and I'm involved in the job that I watch a lot of footage because I love it and I see things. When I come to present things, I'll ask a question. If I don't get the answer straight away, I'll jump in and give the answer. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I've got to let things sit a bit, and uh, and I say, don't be afraid of silence. It'll be the key. I, I, I mean, I'm in a, I'm quite lucky. The year I, I spent coaching a women's team, uh, Richmond Women, which was actually fascinating. They were yep. a very successful team. They had I think twelve internationals at the time.
0: Great,
1: um, and I think. On a, on a Tuesday night they trained as a club so they had 45 girls training ranging from an international to a girl that had never played rugby before mm. and they all trained together and they were adamant they had to be together which was great but then you've got the girl who's never played rugby stuck in the middle of a drill with an international girl running her and you're on your feet and you've got to think how can I get her out of there without making her feel that she's done anything wrong or mm. bad yeah. but still having her enjoy it enough to come back and you yeah. see those sort of challenges I think that taught me quite a lot, um, uh, you know, from thinking on your feet. Um, the world I'm in now, I'm lucky. I've got plenty of time to prepare because it, it, it's literally all I do every day is, is coach and prepare my sessions and look at footage and how I can get the best out of people. So I've got lots of time to do it. But I, yeah, the, as I say, go back. Long winded answers to your question. The first thing I'd say is don't be afraid of silence. Yeah, let us figure things out for themselves.
0: No, I agree. I agree. That's great advice. All right, we all we always end the show with uh, the same four closing uh, questions. Um, when when you were a kid growing up, uh, who who was the one player that stood out to you that that got you into the game? Oh, uh,
1: Jonathan Davies would be the one. I think as the Welsh fly half. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah.
1: He had great great sidestep. step. Uh, you know, I remember a try he scored against Scotland. Oh, I can't remember what year it was, but he he was probably the guy. I love I love the way he played. I loved his style. Um, and Welsh rugby was obviously and well, rugby and Wales is everything and. To see a guy really at the top controlling thing, was yeah. outstanding as yeah. well. It, you know, he was just uh, really, really, uh, really, really interesting and enjoyable to watch.
0: Yeah, he spent some time in rugby league too, right? He, um, yeah. he played, yeah. uh, played for Canterbury, Bankstown. My, that was my team who I supported when I was growing up, when I was... <laughs> I
1: remember scored a great try at Wembley against Australia, actually, where he in outed the fullback and scored in the corner.
0: Yeah, I think he was the Welsh wizard or something. His nickname, was yeah. of Canterbury. Um, yeah. yeah, no, he's great. He was yeah, he fantastic. Was awesome. Yeah. Okay. And what are, what about current players now that you're you like watching running around?
1: Uh, the one who stands out. If I had to say one, would be Aaron Smith down yeah, in New Zealand. Yeah. I just love the in, the enthusiasm, the enjoyment he brings, but also his, his skill level and accuracy is unbelievable, Unreal, isn't it? He, yeah. he, he could pass the ball on a sixpence or sixpence. That's bloody old school. That is. <laughs> he could he pass the ball and hit. You know, his accuracy of pass, his accuracy of kick, his speed of pass. He's a threat. He's pretty much at all around nine. Uh, and yeah. he, everyone, everyone talks about Dan Carter with the All Blacks and Kieran Reid and Seviers and. And they're unbelievable players as well. But without Aaron Smith in the team, they were not the team that they were with him in the team. And uh, he, he's brilliant. I love watching him play.
0: Yeah, he's easily the most complete scrum half uh, going yeah, around for, for quite some time too. Yeah,
1: definitely. definitely. Yeah. And he does all with a smile on his face as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I think
1: yeah. sometimes he hides behind his smile because he's got that competitiveness in him. Yeah. But it is great to see the enjoyment he plays with.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I like, I like watching him play even though he's... He's from the from the wrong side of the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and what about coaches? Who uh who are some of the you mentioned a few, um, Steve Bates, Sean Edwards, those kind of coaches. Are they the ones that you you kinda you look up to the most?
1: Yeah, I, I think I look I look back as I said, I've been lucky enough to learn something off every 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 coach that ever coached me as a player I took something away from. Yeah. Um but the two that stand out were Steve Bates because of his forward thinking yeah. and his Lack of fear, he just tried things, you know. He had us at one point, practicing a cross kick to a, a pod being lifted. Uh, <laughs> That's you know, so <laughs> what's going on? And we never did it in a game, but I, I love the idea behind it and I love the way he came at things. And as I said, a lot of what he used to talk about got poo pooed, but it's stuff that I've seen over the last four or five years, which has been taken on by a lot of teams and top teams as well. Um, so he'd stand out for that. And the other guy would be Sean Edwards, um, competitive wanted to win at everything he did um, he'd treat the, the i played with some brilliant internationals at wasp Some guys who had 50 100 caps and he'd treat those guys the same as he treat the 18 year old guy on trial he didn't care he gave enthusiastic enthusiasm he gave everything to every every session he gave and you always felt that he, he was really trying to make you a better player Whatever stage of your career you're at, and I've got a lot of respect for him for that
0: yeah that's great it's that's, yeah, that's a good message to coaches for sure mm-hmm. um, again, and last question who's uh, who's a coach that maybe doesn't have the profile of those guys that you that you really admire
1: The one guy I love coaching with at the moment is a guy called Mickey Ward up at Newcastle Falcons. He's the forwards coach this year he did some he's been doing the scrum work for, for he's been involved in Newcastle Falcons for twenty years as a player um you know he's a tight head prop. He's a Geordie boy through and through from Newcastle homeboy. <laughs> and I think everyone that meets him now as a coach is pleasantly surprised at his the way he thinks about the game and his ideas. And uh, I, I love I love him. He challenges me every day. He sits next to me. He's always asking me about backs things, asking about line outs, challenging me why I'm doing things, always keeping me on my toes, always with a reason behind it. And um, he does the forward stuff in Newcastle and he's then goes and he's director rugby for Bladen and National One, which is level three over here. So he's a busy, busy man. Yeah. But he he's an absolutely brilliant coach and uh, I say underrated. He's not underrated because he's rated really highly at Newcastle, but possibly someone... That people outside of Newcastle don't know about, mm-hmm. and would be amazed and surprised at the the uh, at his coaching ability, and someone that actually I really enjoy coaching alongside.
0: It's uh, great. It's always good when you work with people like that for sure. Yeah, definitely.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: All right. Well. Um I'm a bit disappointed we didn't talk about hair products um, <laughs> with, with regards to the backs, but uh, maybe another time. But, um, uh, that
1: could be the next one, could
0: it? Yeah, yeah, maybe a follow-up. But uh, uh, apart from that, I've, I've had a ball um, talking uh, it's about this. is an area of the game that I really love and uh, I've got, got a bunch of good ideas from you and I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing it with everyone. Uh, thanks so much for having me
1: on. It's always good to talk and always good to share these things. Love talking
0: about it. Nice. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much, Dave, and we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Andy. Cheers,
1: all the best. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.